the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland. Welcome to the Sleeper on the Bus. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we're discussing a pitcher who may be worth a preemptive bid and a disappointing young shortstop. And we'll start out with the most interesting player alive today. And I have to say, it always makes me proud when my crystal ball is on point. And uh, yesterday morning I published an article to pick up Jordan Lyles. It was my deep league waiver wire. And sure enough, he got the memo because the game yesterday, he pitched seven shutout innings, striking out 10 batters, only walking two, and his ERA is down to 348. And you know what? I got no comments on that article, you know. And at the very least, I was expecting a good call pod, and that hasn't even come. I'm very upset. Pick this personally. Good call pod. Oh, thank you. So Jordan Lyles is actually the third most searched for player on Fangraphs. And and he is he a guy who maybe mixed leaguers should actually be looking at right now? Well, you know, I struggle with that recommendation because his swing strike rate is below league average. And his ground ball rate, I guess it's good. It's, it's 51 right now. It's pretty good. It's not... I wouldn't say that's like uh, outstanding, but you know, I would like to, you know, I'll, I'll do a leaderboard here while I'm talking and see how good it is. But um, you know, the control is good, uh, the ground ball rate is good, seven strikeouts per nine could be enough to to make you a back end starter in a in a fantasy league. I mean, uh, Patrick Corbin has a similar uh, skill set in a way, uh, and it's working. I just I, you know, part of the reason that I like uh, Corbin at all is because he's in the NL. Um, so I, I feel I know that there's a lot of interleague play this year, but I feel like I would feel a little bit better about um, about Lyles if he was in the NL. And uh, looks like Lyles uh, would be would have about the 20th best ground ball rate. In the in the bigs right now, I'm on qualified pitchers, um, and he would slot in just short of Edwin Jackson and Mike Leake, and ahead of Jordan Zimmerman and uh, the old Fausto Carmona. So that's top twenty. That's still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of his better assets as a, as a pitcher is inducing ground balls. Uh, but I think I'm. You know, even though I wrote the article yesterday, it was it was meant for deep leaguers, and I stand by that. I mean, even after that start yesterday, I still don't think he's worthy of consideration in uh, a shallower league. I mean, the issue is is that you're right; he's not inducing swinging strikes. I don't really know where those strikeout rate that those strikeouts are coming from. And what's odd is that although his walk rate is good, his first strike percentage is below the league average. And check out that zone percentage because. Was it you who wrote that article looking at the correlation between zone percentage and walk rate and, and found that it has like almost no correlation and it's really first strike percentage you're supposed to look at? Yeah, but um, Zimmerman is all about the idea that zone percentage uh, can be a proxy for injury. 
Right, right, and and check out Lyles' zone percentage throughout his career. That's he's at, low. Yeah, he's at thirty nine percent, which is extremely low, and and one that you would normally associate with a pitcher with a, either a high walk rate or just throws a lot of like breaking pitches out of the zone. Uh, last year, forty two percent. The year before that, forty one percent. So his career, forty one percent, is way below the league average, and and that's kind of a surprise for somebody like Jordan Lyles, who you don't think of as having great breaking pitches that he could throw out of the zone. Like maybe a U Darvish, you could see that happening just because he has so many breaking pitches and uh, a great assortment of them, and they're very good, so he doesn't necessarily have to throw strikes. So him throwing balls and hitters actually swing at them, you don't think of Jordan Lyles as somebody like that. So it's a surprise. Yeah, and then you know the way that it translates to walk rate is interesting too because if you just look over his career, he's never had trouble with walk rate. Um, in fact, I, I would say I'm not sure about one stop at AAA, but I would say that he's been better than league average at every stop in terms of walk rate, and that sometimes he's been elite. So um, I don't know. That's a, it's really weird that the, those play discipline stats don't line up with his walk rate. Maybe you know he he, he does throw a curveball and a changeup uh, almost a quarter of the time. Uh, maybe those guys just don't hit the. Um, the zone much and maybe those are his strikeout pitches and um i don't know i mean it's a it's a it's a worthy question there are enough i think there's enough to question in his line um and you know you look at his sierra which incorporates his velocity to an extent i think it does incorporate his velocity i'm not no, sure sierra doesn't uh, no, but the projections, uh, like the, st- the steamer projections incorporate velocity but sierra doesn't no well steamer projections have him at a 450 era going forward and uh, and and Sierra is three, Sierra is three ninety one. So th- those aren't numbers that um, scream mixed league anyway. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Uh, but I mean, if nothing else, that difference between the zone percentage and the first strike percentage and its walk rate basically just reminds us that it's a lot more difficult to come up with some sort of expected walk rate metric based on underlying peripherals. I mean, we've had. No problem really coming up with an expected strikeout rate. We have swinging strike, outside swing, uh, contact percentage, all of the velocity, all of these advanced metrics we can use. And we come up with a pretty good expected strikeout rate. But we've had major problems coming up with an expected walk rate. And it's guys like him that uh, makes it problematic. Yeah, and I think it might also be a little bit the the difference between control and command where – you know, uh, a guy can one guy can put it in the zone, but he can't put it where exactly where he wants it. Another guy, I mean, but is there are there guys that can't put it in the zone but can put it exactly where they want it? I don't think so. <laughs> no, you know that might describe that might describe a guy who I mean, you might call it effectively wild. The idea is that they they're putting it outside the zone on purpose um, because it's a purpose pitch. They're 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 trying to make batters reach. Right, or it's a setup pitch because. You're saying, say, throwing a, a high fastball out of the zone to set up a, like a, a sinker away or something. Or... Exactly, and then and and that could be two pitches that are outside the zone that result in a strikeout. You know what I mean? It's like you get the you get a guy to two strikes. You throw a high fastball that's not in the zone. Hey, that's a, that's zero. That's zero for the zone percentage. Then you throw a slider outside the zone. That's a zero for zone percentage. But the guy swung at the slider because his his eyesight his eye line changed on the. On the uh, high fastball, so I think that uh, zone percentage. There's a little cat and mouse game with the hitter going on that it, you can't just say this guy's good because his zone percentage is good. Yeah, and uh, I think that whole sequencing of pitches 
is so important as it relates to striking out batters and walking batters, but it's so hard to actually incorporate into an expected metric just because you have to basically go into the play-by-play data and then come up with a, a formula, and that's that would take a while. That <laughs> would be really hard. Yeah, to I, don't even, I don't even know how to start that. I was yeah. I was hoping that first strike would be the way to go. Uh, first strike is the best peripheral for walk rate. Uh, but it only explains half of the variance. And, and if you use uh, last year's walk rate, uh, it explains almost like 75% of future uh, walk rates. So um, even even taking first strike and then even trying to add in zone percentage, all these other things, you, you can't get much better than 75%, which is basically just say, hey, what did, how many people did he walk last year? Well, uh, and, you know, Jordan Lyles had a good walk rate last year, two, two, uh, 2.7 for nine, or if you want to go percentage-wise, he had 6.7. That's, he's always had a good walk rate. So this year the strikeout rate is up a little bit. That makes it more interesting. And uh, the ground ball rate's held steady now for uh, what would count as a full season between last year and this year. So, you know, there was a little bit of buzz about him coming out. This isn't a guy who came out of nowhere, nowhere. I mean, uh, there were times when he was the best pitching prospect in the majors. It's just, you know, people saw... Uh, him strike out six per nine in Triple A, and just kind of said, uh, "I'll look the other way." All right, let's move along to a guy that both of us liked in the preseason, and uh, we've talked about him before. I'm going to remind all our listeners about each of our bold predictions on Mike Mustakis. I said he would hit 30 home runs. You are a little less, less bold, but you're going to be equally wrong probably. And you mm-hmm. said he'd hit 25 home runs. And we actually talked about him last night on the Fantasy Baseball Roundtable. And it was an interesting question because I didn't even think about that. And the question was, do you think Moustakis is going to be demoted to the minors or benched? And I'm like, huh, you know, I haven't thought about that. But a la Ike Davis, he might benefit greatly from being demoted to the minors. Would you agree with that? It would allow me to do something with him in my friggin' labor lineup. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know... He's uh, he's basically taught me a lesson this year, uh, and I hope that I don't learn the lesson too hard because, you know, sometimes you can, you can hate a player, and I think this might be going on a little bit with Brett Lowry. I think this year Brett Lowry is going to create some haters that will never draft him again, um, and he might have good years in the in the future, and Mike Mustakis might have good years in the future. But the thing that I've sort of learned from him is that I distrust guys that hit the ball in the air fifty percent of the time, and we talked about this some, but. Mike Mustak is has calmed his fly ball rate down a little bit. It sounded like 48 or something, but that's still an extreme fly ball rate, and that's just going to lead to bad batting averages. And you know, it's the Aaron Hill thing, Adam Dunn. These are guys that are are doing it for power, and there's a reason they do it. And if you are showing the great power, then it's fine. But if you don't show the great power, you have a terrible batting average on balls in play, and you just just can have like a terrible, terrible looking overall line. Uh, I think it's related a little bit to hitting more pop-ups because he hits a lot of pop-ups and just putting, you know, it's an uppercut swing. And I think, um, I think he needs, he needs help somewhere. I mean, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't interested in talking to me about ground ball fly ball rate. And I feel like maybe he should have been. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he realizes that that's the cause of his struggles and there's nothing he can do about it. And, and you, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head because it's not necessarily the actual results that worries me, but it's how he's doing it, and it's the batted ball distribution. I mean, if you look at him, it's not a bad thing to hit a ton of fly balls if your home run per fly ball ratio is 15-20%, if you have the power to push those fly balls over the wall. 
But Moustakas has not shown that. I mean, his career home run per fly ball ratio right now is a meager 7%, which is shocking given his minor league pedigree and his historical minor league stats. He's not hitting line drives. He hits a ton of fly balls and a ton of pop-ups. And that's just not – with his level of power, it's just not a way to lead to long-term success. So what I'm thinking is send him to the minors, and you got to do something about that swing. And you've talked a lot about swing planes, and I think he needs to change his swing plane to become more of a, a level swing, hit fewer fly balls and line drives, and th- all fly balls, it's not helping his power. So it's not even like he's going to, oh, he's going to give up some power. He's not. He barely has any power now to begin with. So he's got right. something with that swing. He's got to change it because he's not going to succeed in the long term with this type of batted ball distribution. It's just not going to happen. You know, and even though last year he, he struck out about league average, I think that his true talent strikeout rate is actually better than league average. He's got it back down to 14% this year, career 17%. So I feel like um, he actually has the skill set to, to benefit from a, a level swing plane. Because let's say you strike out 14% of the time. It means you're putting more balls into play than the normal person. Uh, so you can be a contact guy, and he's not a walk rate guy. So. In order to get on base, then, what you want to be doing is have a high batting average on balls in play, hit a lot of line drives, and sort of take advantage of your, of your skill set that way. Um, so I think that actually the best, the best course of action is what you're talking about. And, you know, I, there's a ton of Manny Machado uh, love going around. And I would like to point out that Manny Machado has something in common with Mike Moustakas. They both hit more than 15% of, the infield, of their hits in the air in the infield fly ball. So uh, before you get too excited about Manny Machado, you got to think about what that means for his swing and what that means for his batting average in the future. But I digress. I, I agree with you. I think, and I think probably the major leagues is, is a hard place to, to, to revamp swing playing. And I talked to one of the things that Alex Gordon said was he, he, he worked with Kevin Seitzer when they demoted him, and he worked on a swing plane with Kevin Seitzer, and he came back roaring. So um, they have the model in place. The only reason they're not doing it probably is because they're a little more competitive than they are usually. And, uh, you know, they, they can probably get, they feel like they, if they can get just what he did last year from him um, going forward, then, then they'll be a better team uh, with him in the, in the major leagues. But it doesn't look like that's necessarily coming. So, you know, maybe the best thing is to send him down, even if it's uh, for a couple of weeks or whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, the same thing that the Mets are doing with Ike Davis, I, I think that Moustakas can benefit from. And the Royals, don't laugh, but the Royals do have... A replacement who might not be a zero, Miguel Tejada, he's still alive, and he's actually not hitting too badly. I mean, he's proving right now that he's not completely done, striking out a little more than he has in the past, but it's still a decent strikeout rate. Uh, His power is actually at similar levels to where it's sat since 2007, which is not a complete zero. So he's a guy who seems like he would be capable of filling in in the short term, not being a complete hack at the plate and being a, a reasonable temporary stopgap until Moustakis gets his swing uh, back to a level that can lead to long-term success. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the one thing I don't understand sometimes is like what, what you know, why should they go down to the minor leagues and, and succeed against bad pitchers and then come back up and have the same problems? But there is something to be said for not thinking about the results as much and not not having as much pressure uh, to 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 um, sort of win games and 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 have good results. The the you know in the minor leagues you can 
have good swings and then get good comments from your coaches about how your swing was good or whatever. Yeah. So I think there there is something to be said for proving grounds and training grounds. Plus, he'll have a chance to experiment at the plate. I mean, what if he changes his batting stance or if he changes his swing plane? I don't think the Royals really want Moustakas in the lineup experimenting with these things to see what works. But in the minors, it doesn't really matter what his results is. He just wants to, you know, try out different uh, stances, maybe swings and, and changes in mechanics and then see what works. And once he figures that out, then he can get called back up. But you can't really do that in major league games because that can kill the team offensively. Although, obviously, the Royals have been putting up with terrible offensive production. So it wouldn't be any worse than he has already been. But, I mean, that's not something that you really want to be doing in the majors, experimenting like that. Yeah. All right, let's move along to uh, a picture I wrote about this morning, uh, Erasmo Ramirez. And is he somebody that mixed leaguers should put in sort of like a, a preemptive bid? I mean, he hasn't been called up, but he is back from his mysterious injury. Uh, he's had three starts so far. I believe he's going to be starting again either today or tomorrow. And it sounds like, given the state of the uh, Mariners rotation that he could be called up within the next week or two and when you do finally read that he's been called up it might be too late somebody else may have pounced before you so is he somebody to make that preemptive bid get him now before the call up speculating that he'll be called up soon knowing that you're going to have him now yeah I don't know why Steamer hates him so much uh, Steamer has him down for a 440 ERA and, and 6 strikeouts per 9 but you know when he was up last year he had a double-digit swing strike rate. Um, he had a he has a great changeup. I love his changeup, and it's not that he's you know a, a one-trick. I mean, it's not he might be a one-trick pony in terms of his changeup is ahead of the slider, but he has velocities. You know, he can throw 93, and uh, he you know when a guy throws a slider more than 10% of the time, I feel like it's a legit pitch. So um you know he's a three-pitch guy with a with a legit legit changeup that looks really nice can hit 93 sits around 92 has uh great control sometimes elite sometimes really really nice control um and so i mean that's that's in fact that's how i would build a pitcher because i i think the changeup might be one of the best uh pitches for your arm so if you could give me a guy with uh nice fastball velocity great control and a changeup i mean that's that's what i want yeah, and you add in Safeco, you know. I mean, even even with the even with the Spence changes, uh, I I don't I think you know I'll take the under on a four forty ERA. Yeah, clearly, and I mean, if you were to take a picture and start him off with two pitches, you want the fastball changeup, no platoon splits to worry about, and then you can right. just add in after maybe a curve or, or a slider. But if you got down that, if you have a solid fastball like Erasmo has, and then you add in that really good changeup, that's one heck of a start, and then you can go from there. So, yeah, I mean, you hit on all the points in terms of ballpark. And, I mean, the Mariners' offense obviously isn't great, but it's not clearly as bad as... Yeah, not a pickup for wins. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But, again, I mean, it's not a terrible offense. I mean, they do have some pop in the lineup. This is not as bad of an offense as it was last year. So they have some decent players. I mean, Nick Franklin has been hitting well. He should give them a boost over what Dustin Ackley gave them. And uh, they have some other guys that are decent. So, obviously, you don't expect a ton of wins. But, I mean, he's a guy who could definitely help in ratios, provide a good whip. He had a one whip last year, actually. Uh, only 59 innings. But good control plus a decent strikeout rate. And uh, so he could help in ratios, decent strikeouts. So I think he could have value in 12-team mixed leagues. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, in fact, he actually brings up a pretty interesting question, um, unless you wanted to talk more about him. 
in my in my AL labor um, league, I my ERA has been stinking because I, I've had to roster um, Felix Dubron and and Scott Diamond, um, and I'm just itching for Erasmo to be called up because I I paid seven bucks for him and I wanted him you know I wanted him to start the season, um, so here's a, a, a weird question. Uh, just off the top of your head, I mean, you obviously—I didn't tell you this before—but who would you drop, Felix Dubron or Scott Diamond? You know, Dubron is such a tease because you look at his peripherals and you look at that strikeout rate. And although I have no idea how he's striking out batters, he does, and yeah. he always has a high BABIP. So, we, I mean, we talked about this on Tuesday with Corey Kluber. I mean, maybe he's just not majorly quality. Maybe Dubron isn't either. But just based on the strikeout rate, I'd rather hold on to him, hoping that maybe his. ERA catches up to his decent skills, and, and Diamond just, uh, he doesn't play for a great offense, so the wins are going to be a problem, and his strikeout rate is so pathetic that yeah. you're, you're banking on ratios on a, you know, a, a mediocre skill set, so I would drop Diamond and hope that Dubrant, at the very least, gives you some strikeouts. Yeah, but, you know, Diamond's year last year is better than any, you know, sustained stretch that, uh, that Dubrant's put up, and Dubrant's uh, down to 90 on the gun. Oh yeah, well, he missed some time with I think shoulder problems, right? So yeah, yeah. So uh, oh, you know what? Scott Diamond's ground ball rate is back up. I remember the last time I checked him, his ground ball rate was down to like forty percent, but it's back up to forty nine percent, which is good. But look at that strikeout rate—a four point three strikeout rate. He struck out twenty nine batters in sixty innings. That's pathetic. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, I didn't really. I actually, ro- I rostered Dubron at the beginning of the season for a dollar, thinking, you know. He's had a great strikeout rate. He throws 93. This could be his breakout year. Uh, and ever since, I've just he's been he's just had enough strikeouts that he, I've just been too scared to drop him because I I can't put him on my bench because of AL labor rules. Well, I think this is a question of who's going to earn less negative value between the. <laughs> yeah. You never want to be. Dubron, because at least we'll give you one category. Right, exactly. Who's going to be less bad? And I think it's. Gonna be- <laughs> All right, let's move along to a Twitter question from at Yakitas. With Starlin Castro in such a slump, I'm thinking of dropping him to make room for Kinsler off of the DL. How likely am I to regret that? And he's in a 10-team, shallow, mixed head-to-head points league. And he loses points for quartz dealings, and we know Starlin Castro is not exactly the most efficient base dealer. His career rate is not very good uh, in terms of stolen base success. Uh, and also more context, Starlin Castro currently ranks right behind Pedro Florimon and Jason Nix on CBS, just to give you an idea how disappointing Starlin Castro really has been. So also remember, in a points league, Starlin Castro is worth less than a standard 5x5 because his bad walk rate kills his on-base percentage, and when walks have value, the guys who don't walk lose value compared to standard 5x5, where his batting average isn't as valuable. So I think this is a legit question, but it's kind of crazy that it's being asked because, I mean, he he was probably a top-five shortstop coming into the season. Yeah, I wouldn't drop him. I mean, I know I know he's not ideal for the, for the, uh, the setup, but uh, he has a career almost 330 Babbitt from right now. It's 280. Uh, I looked at his, his batted ball stats, and... They're identical, you know. The power isn't totally gone. I think, 
you know, early in the season, Wrigley is, is cold and the wind is blowing in. And then late in the season, Wrigley is warm and the wind is blowing out. Um, so I think there will be some nice Wrigley days for him. Uh, I still think that he'll, you know, play to about a 280, 290, uh, you know, 10 slash 20 kind of true talent going forward. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the Cubs are, t- are preaching patience and they, they're addressing uh, Castro specifically. So they know it's an issue and they're trying to work with him. And I just saw a piece recently that said that it's not necessarily strike, you know, the first pitch or the second pitch that is really hurting Castro. It's a little bit of over-aggressiveness later on in the, in the, uh, in the at-bat. And I think that makes sense because if you look at his swinging strike rates, they've been mostly better than league average. And, you know, he could have a better strikeout rate. So, you know, if he just concentrates a little bit on, you know, keeping his bat in his back pocket uh, later in the, later in the, in the, in each plate appearance, I think, you know, and then, you know, waits for a little bit of warm weather and and, and some power love. Um, I think he'll be fine. Well, the Cubs actually had dropped him near the bottom of the order uh, recently, but today he was back up in the two hole. If he remained down in the order for a while, that would kill his fantasy value. But back up in the two hole, if he can manage to stay there, then I think he should be fine because he's actually in front of the few good hitters that the Cubs actually have. But I think my biggest issue, I, I think we could both agree his batting average will rebound. I mean, the, the slightly increased strikeout rate is a concern, but the BABIP definitely should increase because his batted ball profile looks good and it looks like the type that could sustain uh, an above-average BABIP, and, and it's basically identical to previous years. But my biggest concern is just the stolen base attempts. I mean, he stole 25 bases last year in 38 attempts, he's only attempted four steals this year. I mean, that's a pace of like 10 all year. So unless those stolen bases increases, then he's not going to come anywhere near his preseason value on a rest-of-season basis. And I, it, it's hard to predict if stolen bases are just going to suddenly return because, I mean, that's something that's not normally fluky. It's not like, oh, home runs don't stabilize until a certain number of bat- at bats, so you, don't, you can't look at it yet. Stolen bases, you always think speed doesn't slump, so you have to question why those stolen bases are down. Well, at least he's not getting caught. Well, that's true, because he's not. <laughs> <laughs> that is the silver lining. And, hey, he does get negative points for a caught stealing. So in this particular context, in Yakutus's league, then at least he's saving himself some negative points there. Oh, man. I mean, I just looked at Aoki's line, and Aoki has stolen six bases in 13 attempts. So Yeah. I yeah. Have, okay, so, <laughs> so the Fantasy Baseball Roundtable show that I do on Wednesday nights, we have a listener league. And for whatever reason, Pat DiCaprio, who hosts the show, he, uh, he decided to add net steals as a category to our league. Stolen bases minus caught stealings. I have Aoki. And I'm like, are you serious? You've already gotten caught one less time than you've gotten caught all of last year. He's negative one in the category. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. So, yeah, so I'm not doing... It's, it's two yeah. categories he's supposed to help in. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's And I need steals in that league for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, all right. The bottom line is I find it very difficult as well to outright drop Castro. If anything, maybe try to find somebody in your league who thinks they're buying low. Because even if he does rebound, I don't think he's worth a whole lot in a points league anyway, just because his on-base percentage is going to stink all year, even if his batting average rebounds. So I would try to 
sell low but get a reasonable return. Otherwise, just hold on to him for a little longer because I can't imagine somebody offering more upside uh, from free agency. All right, let's move along. It seems like we're now talking closers every single show. And uh, this pitcher actually surprises me. Tom Wilhelmson blew a save yesterday in spectacular fashion, giving up five runs. And Roto World said a, a, a blurb mentioning that, you know, if he has another blow up in the next week or so, he might lose his job. And I'm like, really? I thought Tom Wilhelmson has been pitching well all year, but I'm wrong. I don't own him, and this is what happens. I, I completely forget. He gave up three runs at the beginning of the month, a run the following outing, two outings without giving up run, a run, then another run on the 10th, and then five runs in the uh, on the 12th yesterday. So that is four. That's 10 runs in June so far. I had no idea that he struggled so badly in June. Then I looked at his season stats, and his peripherals are way off. So something looks really wrong. Um, so, you know, with all that said, true or false, Tom Wilhelmson finishes the season as the Mariners' closer. I'm starting to think false. I mean, uh, I think Carter Capps is the better pitcher right now. And uh, the the main thing is, you know, we have a very, actually a very small track record for him, even if you go into the minor leagues, um, because he's a reliever and because he came to baseball so late. But I do remember that when he first, when he first exploded onto the scene, um, you know, in uh, I think it was before 2011, in spring training before 2011. I mean, he'd already been playing some, but you know, I was sitting down with Cameron in a, in a press box in Seattle and in in Arizona, uh, watching a Seattle game, and and he's he was like, oh, you got to watch out for this kid, um, you know, he he has a great, he has a, a big fastball, big power hook. He has no idea where the fastball is going sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I tattled him some that year, and then I, I brought him back up again in 2012, said I think he's going to be the closer this year, and he was. And, you know, I felt really good about myself. But the, the, the asterisk has is, is always hung out there, which is his fastball control is not always with him. And if you look at his, his walk rates over his career, I, I've mentioned this before and had people be like, you're crazy, he's good walk rates, what are you talking about? But if you look at his if you look at his walk rates, you won't see it necessarily because uh, you know it's it can go and it can it can come back like in in appearances. And right now, I think it's gone. I mean, his walk rate is up to four point seven. His first pick strike rate is bad. Um, I just think that the and 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 if you look at his swing strike rate, which is above average, almost ten percent, and then you look at his strikeout rate, which is a six point six, which is terrible. Uh, or 18%. That's terrible for a closer. I mean, closers are closers are well above um, above 20%. They should be around 24%. They should all get about one strikeout per nine at least, one strikeout per inning at least. So he's uh, something's wrong. And you know, it's the third ball is not necessarily it. So I think it's a fastball, and it's not the velocity. It's just I think it's his command. I think his fastball command is gone. And you never know what it'll take to, to get his job back or to lose his job or if he just writes the ship the next couple of weeks and, and, you know, then everything's fine again. But, I mean, Carter Caps has a great walk rate for once and has found the zone a little bit. It's made some changes. So, you know, they're not losing too much from it. Yeah, I think that it's false, too. I don't think Tom Wilhelmson finishes the season as the Mariners' closer. I mean, this is all kind of warning signs. And my initial inclination was – 
also that Carter Capps was the guy to speculate on. But alarm bells, when you look at his pitch mix, he's a fastball slider guy. And what do we always say about fastball slider guys? Platoon splits, sure enough, what have lefties done to him this year? Oh, only a 423 Woba with a 591 XFIP. What have they done to him over his entire career, including 2012? A 388 Woba with a 539 XFIP. Jesus. So he's not a closer. So the thing that maybe they could do is when there's a lefty up, bring in Charlie Furbush and have him face the lefties. And I teams obviously hate doing some sort of a platoon close. But Carter Caps cannot be a full-time closer. And it doesn't look like Will Helmson necessarily has the skills anymore to close. So I'm not sure what else the Mariners could do. I mean, that Yorvis Medina guy, I, he doesn't have enough experience to really trust him in the ninth inning. So I think they're in a tough spot here unless they are willing to do something that's non-traditional and, and really truly have a platoon closer situation with Caps and Furbush. Well, I'm blown out of the water. I should have checked those platoon splits. I, uh... Now I think I want to change my answer. I feel like if that's their option, I mean, the, the team got has got to know the platoon splits on Caps. So, um, you know, maybe maybe you'll see Caps snipe a couple saves from Will Helmson where, you know, Will Helmson puts a couple batters on and it's only righties left, you know, in the in the lineup, then they, they throw Caps out there. Um, but uh, that'll be difficult because Caps is also their primary setup, man. So, you know, if he's pitched in the game already, you know. So I don't know. Uh, Maybe maybe Wilhelmson will get a lot more leash to, to figure it out, but I didn't like what I saw in Wilhelmson's uh, line, and uh, I wish you hadn't told me that about Caps's tunes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, because sometimes I think that I mean I had a personal theory that that uh, Dave Cameron doesn't think much of, and it, and I guess Carter Caps doesn't either. That you know, if you have a high uh, velocity, if you have a nice seven ninety eight mile an hour fastball or whatever, that um, you can sort of get by by just having a slider as your second pitch. Uh, basically, just go all fastball against the lefties, you know? Yeah, I mean, that might make sense, except for the fact that clearly the, the these kind of pitchers don't do that because we always see platoon splits. So if they were doing it and it worked, we wouldn't see as drastic of platoon splits as they show. So maybe I think Dave should call up the Mariners organization and tell – Carter Caps to experiment only throwing fastballs to lefties and see what happens. I think that would be. <laughs> well, I mean, the other option that I've, you know, I talked to Sean Kelly um, from the Yankees, who's has, has about the third or fourth best strikeout rate in the, in the league. And uh, he only has a fastball slider. And I don't think his platoon switzer is bad. And I said what he'd do about it. And he said, that he has uh, a slurve. He has two sliders. He has a slurve and a slider. And uh oh, Luke Gregerson territory. Exactly. Luke like... has somewhere between three and seven sliders. So <laughs> maybe Gregerson needs another slider. Yeah, maybe he can learn that overnight, and then he can be a successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just drop it down a little bit. Grip it different. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.